Isaiah 66, 1 to 5. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my home, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. And this is the theme for four Sunday nights. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And then these strange verses. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Did you know that was in your Bible? He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways. And their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose harsh treatment for them. That's God speaking. I will also choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. That's quite an image, eh? I called, Don, Don. Nothing. Nobody answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they They did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord. And then here's the same idea. You who tremble at his word. Remember the last part of verse 2? The one God looks at, the one who trembles at my word. And now it's repeated in the middle of verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but it is they who will be put to shame. Let's just pray. We are interested when your word says, here's the kind of person I look upon. We long to have you set your attention on our lives. There's nothing that means more to us. So when your word says, this is the one I look at, we need to study that. It's so basic. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to all of our hearts together. If we haven't told you already, we love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Everyone said... There'll be two texts for this uh, four-message series. The, the first few weeks, we'll be looking at this text, Isaiah 66, 1 to 5, and then we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 22, an amazing account in 2 Kings 22. This passage in Isaiah is really striking, and the prophet's aim in writing these words to God's people is twofold. First, to keep them from resting their hearts on the beautiful routine of their religion, the beautiful temple in which they worshipped and offered their 
sacrifices. So on that account, God says two things to sort of stir their hearts. First, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? The first verse. This is, this is God through the prophet saying, you, you, think, you think this temple is a beautiful place. Now remember, this temple was built at God's instruction. All of it. So it's not that the temple is a bad place. God says, you think this temple is a beautiful place? Let me, let me tell you where I live all the time. Heaven. Heaven is where I live. Your temple is a tiny little spot on earth. Let me tell you about the earth. He said, the earth, well, that's where I put my feet up, my footstool. You ever do that? You sit down, you drag a chair over, and you slap your feet up on top of it. God says, the whole created world. That's where I, that's where I prop my feet up. And the second thing that the prophet says is all these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, verse 2, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. So here God says, I have, I have infinite creative powers. God says through the prophet Isaiah, look at the whole created world. Everything you can see, I made it. I made this whole universe, and I could easily, just as easily, have made a thousand more if I desired. Everything you see, I made. You think this temple's beautiful? The earth is my footstool. Everything you see everywhere, I made it, and I made it effortlessly. said there were two goals. The second goal is to keep them from resting on outward religious performances while parts of their lives were untouched by devotion to God. And this is where you get those strange verses. He puts together in a series, back to back, four couplets, four pairs of things that don't seem to belong together at all. Because the first part of the pair is good and the second part is bad or ugly. And yet God links them up. It's in verse 3. He who slaughters an ox, where would they get the idea to slaughter an ox? Who told them to do that? God did. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, where did they get that idea? God told them to do it. Is like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering. Where did they get that idea? God told them to do it. Like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering. From God. Like one who blesses an idol. I, I, I know of no single verse of scripture that more fully um, paints, discloses God's Hatred for, for righteous acts of religion that are performed when the heart is still far from God. I can't think of a text that does that more bluntly, almost offensively, 
in wording than, than this text. Everything religious fill in, fill in our lives. Acts of devotion, even acts of devotion commanded by God are not only neutralized by wickedness in other areas, but they're corrupted by persistent wickedness in other areas. Nothing will change the fact they, they offer the sacrifices, the grain offering, sacrificing the lamb, uh, killing the ox, the memorial offering of frankincense. Nothing they do will change the fact that, verse 3, they have chosen their own ways instead of God's. Nothing they do can compensate for, um, how shall we say it, habituated acts of disobedience. Not in all areas. No one's habitually wicked in every area, but in a few areas where they, God would speak, I called, remember? I called. He didn't answer. Because they knew God wanted to talk to them about maybe one area, maybe two, maybe three, where they didn't tremble at his word. Why didn't they? Well, because they went to the temple, they brought their sacrifices, they were doing exactly as God said, They didn't tremble at his word. But there's also treasure in this text. There's warning. In the middle of all these denunciations, they're pretty strong. God gives this brief little summary, almost like nowhere else in Scripture. A summary of the heart of the one on whom he will look with continued favor, attention, and blessing. It's in 62. Do you see that, Isaiah 66, 2? Is that reference in your notes or not? Okay, I'll read it. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, trembles at my word. See, keep it all together. The one who trembles at my word. I have made everything you can see. There is nothing in all of creation, nothing else that I have made that compares in beauty. You you talk about the wonderful temple. But there's nothing, in my opinion, God says, that compares in beauty before my eyes than someone who trembles at my word always trembles at my word. Your your temple of gold, all the sacrifices you can muster, they're just insignificant compared to the beauty of a trembling heart. I said when I opened in prayer, we we should pay attention to those words. God looks, does God see this crowd tonight, right here? Okay. So he looks across this room. He looks at me, looks at you, looks at all of us. Right now, God sees all of us, but he doesn't see us all alike. See, we look at this group and we see a a group. This is the one 
to whom I look. We like the idea of coming Sunday morning, especially in the big group, and you kind of, you can just, you're part of the crowd, but not with God. God never sees crowds. God sees every one of us as a one tonight. Everyone in this room. I don't know where you've been, don't know what you've done, don't know where you've come from, don't know what your week is like. But God sees everyone individually. It's an incredibly non-institutional view that God has. This is the one. This can't be mass-produced. Out of the whole crowd, this is the one on whom I set my attention. That's what we want to analyze. If this is the kind of heart, and it's so prized by our Creator God, what does a trembling heart look like? How do I know if I have one? How can I get one? That's what we're going to study. Okay, point number one. A trembling heart sees the authority of God behind everything in God's word. Our hearts can be a mixed bag of kind of undetected motives. Good habits can be done sometimes for wrong reasons. We can get to the place where we we visit a church like we go to the office or a shopping mall. Sometimes we want God to to do something for our kids, so we want to have them in God's house because it's going to be good for them down the road. I can... Read God's Word. Everybody I talk to these days has a, one of those little gizmos or uh, something on their iPhone or uh, uh, one of those Apple watches or a little bracelet here. And everybody on the planet is counting their steps this day. If you haven't noticed that, people used to walk. Now they count. There seems to be something satisfying in knowing how many steps we've taken in a day. very easy, and and so I've got to get my 10,000 steps. I've got to get my whatever it is. I can can actually come to God's Word. I've got a chapter a day, two chapters a day, and it's like tracking the number of steps. It becomes a, a goal, something to be achieved. Now, my point isn't that coming to God's Word because it has to be done, my point isn't that that's wicked, But at some point, if God's ever going to inflame my heart down the road, I will have to set myself to seek God's word for something more than just counting words like counting steps and getting a certain amount covered. You see, Moses. Moses talking to the people of Israel. Let me just read this to you. It's in Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47. And he, that's Moses said to the people, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of the law. And then he says, for it is no empty word to you, but your very life. And by this word... 
You shall live long in the land that you are going over Jordan to possess. For it is no empty word for you. Why does, why does God have to tell them that? It's easy, it's easy to empty the word of all that it's meant to carry, even as you read it. It's a very carefully worded injunction. Moses isn't just telling the people to remember God's word. He's not even telling them that God's words are important. That's true. But Moses' words pressed more to the motive. Why? Why should they be devoted to the truth of God's word? Maybe it's just me. We all have a hard time doing the things we know we're supposed to do. Anybody else ever like that? And that's why Moses talks to the people about life. Be careful, 46 and 47, to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. So their their, uh, ability, their willingness... When they hear God speak, their capacity to hear it as God speaking to them rather than just the religious stuff that God has told them to do. But their capacity to hear God in his word is directly related to their ability to perceive those words as being, they're your life. They're your life. Why does Moses tell them that? Well, because we all have that lie from the fall. It still rests in the fabric of our souls, the remnants of the fall, training our minds that life is more secure, more fulfilling on our own terms rather than God's. All we want is life. Life is why we're here. And so the question. It's it's July 12th. The next time we get together will be the 19th. My question to you is, What will give you a good life this week? What will give you a good life this week? How you answer that question will shape your goals for this week. It shapes where you're going to spend your time and your energy this week, right? A trembling heart will seek God as the source of all good this coming week. It will see a consciousness of God's word and God's way and God's presence. It will see self-denial as a way of finding a good life. A trembling heart traces God's word back to himself. It sees God in everything that God says. I don't think it's an unfair question. I think it's a, it's a very basic one.
Would you all agree, can we put it in the budget that there's a new battery goes in this mic every Sunday? All in favor? Yeah. What was I saying? Okay, so we would all agree, here we have it, that this is God's Word. And what we mean by that is that this is different from any other book. This comes from, this comes from God. And so the question then is, what, what is God like? The God who gives us this Word, the God who calls us to have a trembling heart before His Word, what is He like? What is that God like? Here's his calling card. I want to just talk about this for a minute. Paul starts describing what God is like. The God who gives us his word. We're to have trembling hearts before his word. Hearing God in his word is what I'm talking about now. Because a trembling heart, God says, I I just long to see one person like that. What is... What is this God like? Romans 4.17 is a description of God. And here's his calling card. Let me read it to you. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. We all sang and we'll sing more songs and we will raise our voices in worship to God. What is this God like? How will we know him? How will we recognize him? Well, he's the one. He's the one, Paul says. You'll know him because here's what he's like. He's the one who gives life to the dead and who calls into existence things that do not exist. A trembling heart before God's word. That's what we're talking about. Moses says, it's your life. And so here we are, and we want to know what will give us life this week. What will give us good life, fruitful life this week? How will we orient our lives? God says, well, I look for someone who trembles at my word. Why, God? What's in it for us? Because Here is the nature of the God who gives us this book. He is a God who takes things who are not and brings them into existence. Look at your life. Look at your week. And you look into your heart and you see all the things that are not. Someone who can take things that are not and bring them into existence. We have great admiration. My wife, Rini, she's away. I pick her up tonight. She can take an old piece of furniture and you give her time and it looks like nothing and she can take it and work on it and make it look really good. We just, we just have respect for people who can take things that aren't much and make them into something great. But that's not what this is about. The text doesn't say God takes things that aren't too great and he can really make them special. 
What the text says is, his word, here's what it'll do in Don Horbin's life, and here's what it'll do in your life. God finds things that aren't, period. And you could never produce, period. What's this God like, the one who calls us to tremble before his word? He's a God who takes things that aren't, and the things you can barely believe about your life, and God says, and I bring them into existence. Man, that's good news. How will we know this God? Two things. Paul says, here's his calling card. He is the God who one day will bring the body of Michael Horban out of the grave. He's the one who raises the dead. And for the living, all those people who look into their heart and see nothing but things that aren't, aren't, period. No hope, no chance, no future. This is the one Take his word, tremble before it, see God speaking in it, and I, I bring them into existence. That's what that's like. That's what that's like. Well, I took too long, sorry. Point number two. A trembling heart will never form a case against performing God's word. It doesn't argue with God's word. Revelation 6, 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So here we see trembling hearts in the extreme. They would be slain rather than go against the word of God. Other people would look at the same word and never see what they saw. Okay? but this is the one to whom I look. So other people didn't have the same heart to, to treasure God's word, to tremble before it, to see it as the God who takes things that aren't and brings them into existence. I think we're probably at a pretty dangerous point in today's church. A good church has become one that suits the wants and heals the hurts of people. Maybe you find your own heart and you look around and you see the discipline and devotion of maybe some Christian somewhere in the church and you find it hard to relate to the unattachment of their hearts to material things that you find fascinating and satisfying. Maybe they look strange to you. Maybe they look fanatical. Maybe they look out of touch. If you don't have a heart that trembles at God's word, you will only think them strange or hopelessly irrelevant to today's culture, but that's not it. That's not it. It might just be that they found what you're living for is too small. Maybe they've learned to have their affections more shaped by another kingdom altogether. They've trained their hearts to be affected by the truth of God's word. They weren't born that way. Three. Trembling heart fears the judgment of God upon those who disregard his word. Of course, nobody talks about judgment anymore. When's the last time you saw someone being praised by the media for trembling at God's word? We're not all that concerned, this world of ours. 
Bible takes a very different viewpoint. I was reading, I was reading Jeremiah 5, 21 to 25, and, and, it, and it says this. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not, do you not, it's, it's, it's like God is puzzled, an all-knowing God is puzzled. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not, here it is, tremble? Do you not tremble before me? And then God goes on to explain. I I place the sand as a boundary for the sea. That's what I, what have you done today, God would say. Here's what I do. A perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. And then he goes back. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They've turned aside. They've gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain, the spring rain, and keeps for us weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, God says. Your sins have kept good from you. See, isn't that interesting? Because when people give in to temptation, when people sin, it's usually because they think God is trying to keep good from them, Right? There's something I want to find on my own terms. And goodness knows, these Christians, all their rules and regulations, and, and, and God is trying to keep good from me. And God speaks to this people and says, here's what I'm like, here's, here's what I do. Uh, and your sins have kept good from you. Why? Because they've separated them from the one who calls things that aren't into existence. That last sentence, your sins have kept good from you. Well, they always do, don't they? Doesn't probe quite deep enough, though. Why would anyone do that? What makes people sin and keep good from their own lives? That's the thrust of the prophet's questions. What a strange thing it is that people, people who are so dependent on my patience and mercy who couldn't even grow crops unless I gave them rain. How will people like that harden their hearts against my word? And the angels all gasp, can't believe it. There seems to be something in the human heart that is slow to wake up. So these people in Jeremiah's day, they were already suffering from the pain of their disobedience to the voice of God, the fields, the crops. They were drying up before their eyes, and yet they're still banking that they could go their own way and they could make it. Let God love you by causing you to fear him. And if those things sound contradictory to you, it's because you you just don't understand God. Awaken your heart to receive goodness. Your sins have kept goodness from you. Receive goodness by fearing God. Warm your love for God 
by trembling before him. Fearing God is the root from which loving God grows. No one can long love a God who can be safely ignored. Four. We're almost done. The one who trembles at God's word knows it reaches to the very depth and core of his being. God sees what no one else sees. That's really the whole issue in this Isaiah 66 passage. The people had come to think that a surface kind of following. They performed the prescribed ceremonies. They came into the temple. Remember, that's why God goes after those things very specifically in that text. They performed the prescribed ceremonies in the temple and all those sacrifices. They were pictures and reminders of God's atonement and God's forgiveness. That's what these pictures, these people thought of when they thought of God. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It can easily become the only tool in the box for many professing Christians. It's free. It erases sin. Apparently, so I'm told, it's endless. And so the logic is simple. What else do I need from God but forgiveness? What else could we need? Forgiveness covers everything. And the prophet Isaiah has a rather um, potent message to these sin-sacrificing people. God's grace, when it's received, doesn't just erase sin, it alters the heart. It doesn't just change my record, it changes my attitude. It reaches, Hebrews 4.12, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when the heart approaches the word of God, when it trembles before God's word, it doesn't just change the way that person perceives past sin, the removal of guilt, it also changes the way that person views future sin, producing an intolerance for any kind of compromise or unrighteousness or indifference. Lastly, the one who trembles at the word is moved by God's unbelievable grace and promise that he sees there. This may be surprising to some people. The Bible teaches that it's not only the fear of the Lord that should make us tremble. The Bible teaches the goodness of the Lord should, too. Just one reference, there are many. Psalm 211, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with, and here's the same word, trembling. Rejoice with trembling. The goodness of the Lord, the Bible says, leads to repentance. Calloused people, careless people receive the blessings of the Lord and they see the end of that being enjoying those blessings. People with trembling hearts receive God's blessing with the goal of glorifying the one who gave them. I've already considered one example of that in this message. God expected his own people, he sent rain, the prophet Jeremiah says. And God expected his own people to use the rain for more than getting wet and making money on crops. 
they do not say in their hearts, Jeremiah says, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season. It seems like God expected people to learn about him by pondering his faithfulness. Our greatest danger in times of relative blessing and ease that we enjoy in this little bubble of, of North American Christianity. It doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet. Just in our little bubble, our little plastic world. Our greatest danger is, is simply becoming consumers of blessings rather than learning about God and fearing God and thinking about God and trembling before him. His faithfulness, his kindness, my dependency on him for all things. I mean, the Bible says God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. As far as I know, my neighbors on either side aren't Christians. And when it rains, you know what? Their grass turns just as green as mine. If I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. I'd send pestilence and rain on mine. As far as I can tell, neither one of them ever thinks of the goodness of the Lord when he cares for them. God's goodness bounces off them like water. Sorry. Not so the righteous. Their hearts are softened more. Not just the soil, their hearts. They tremble in amazement before him. And nothing is ever wasted on a heart like that. I don't know what God has, you know, future for Cedarview. Who knows? Who knows where it'll be 10 years from now, what God will do and how God will work. I know this, that whether it's five years, 10 years, or 50 years, God will look upon this place and he will look at the one who trembles before him. And everyone said, we'll look more at this in coming in uh, coming weeks. Let's pray.